it's a daunting process or it can be, but it can also be extremely beautiful. And oh, the, yeah. When the puppies first come out and they're so helpless and it's a really good experience for my children to help with. They've learned a lot about life and death, unfortunately, through the process and they appreciate it, I think. So it's a learning for all of us. I'm Phil Hatterman and this is Dog Words presented by Rosie Fund. Today on Dog Words, Deb Feld tells us about foster puppies, and we tell you why you should let sleeping dogs lie. In each episode of Dog Words, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We save each other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us, and they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love this podcast. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. Use your favorite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and share Dog Words. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. If this is your first visit to Dog Words, please check out archived episodes at rosiefund.org. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. On today's episode of Dog Words, we are excited to welcome Deb Fell to the show to talk about fostering. We've got such great response to our previous fostering episodes that we're just going to keep this going. Deb, welcome to the show. Thank you. You are involved in a very specific kind of fostering. Tell us about that. My kids and I do fosters for mama dogs and their puppies, ranging anywhere from two to 13 puppies. What sort of response do you get from people that you tell, I foster puppies? (laughs) Well, I get one of two responses. Oh my goodness, that's a lot of work. Or, oh, they're so cute. How can you give them away? Because they picture just like you're laying on your living room floor covered with puppies. Yes, all soft and cuddly. And (laughs) they can do that and you never have to clean up after them. You never have to feed them. And what is involved with puppy fostering? Well, there is a lot of playtime. So there is some fun to it. However, it is a lot of cleanup. And then they get teeth, and then they get destructive, and then that's when they go (laughs) to their adopters. And they get to deal with that. So how long do you typically have a litter of puppies in your foster home? Typically, probably two to three months. And I say that it depends when we get them. A lot of times we'll get the mom when she's still pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then once she has the puppies, then it's an eight-week process. We have the puppies for eight weeks, and then they're available for adoption once they have had surgery. And then keep mom for an additional two weeks after that. One aspect of fostering puppies that wasn't immediately obvious to me was that somewhere in there, there's going to be the birthing process. (laughs) You think about the feedings and the potty training and all that. But yeah, there's there's this big event that's a key component. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's an, it's an interesting process. And I guess I didn't know what to expect when we actually had the first foster. The mom usually is very good and usually takes care of everything. You just have to make sure she's okay and understand that it takes a while for the first one and then they come significantly on a schedule after that. That took me a while to figure out. Mm-hmm. And I was always worried if there was a space of time Mm -hmm. in between certain births and they just kind of come out when they want to. But the first one is labor is the longest and signs to look for. But the mom will usually take care of it. There's been certain circumstances where the mom will have the baby. She'll 
take care of it, you know, clean it and things. And then she bites off the umbilical cord, but they'll bleed from the umbilical cord. So you take a piece of dental floss and cut it off. It's just mm-hmm. simple little things I didn't know I had to do. So you have to help. So you've punched up your resume. I have that's, a little bit, yeah, little extra things. Yes. They usually take care of it. And it is like any birth. There's a lot of fluid involved, and as long as you have enough there and keep changing it, and the mom's okay and comfortable, then you, everything. So you create fine. a whelping pen with some absorbent blankets, and well, we use a kitty pool. There like you a go, little kids' pool, and everything's contained, and the mom can get up and walk if you have the bigger pool. So it's win-win for everybody. And it's amazing the mama dog knows what that's for. She does. It's <laughs> it's interesting because um, I'm sure the first time you know. think. Well, how will she know to use the, she knows. She does. And some of them don't like it. Like you'll set up this whole setup that's Mm -hmm. perfect for her to give birth. And then she wants to go in the corner of the basement. I have my own system. Yes. I would imagine that's particularly true if it's not their first litter and a stray. Usually if it's the first litter. If the first litter. Okay. So it's the first litter. They don't know how to do it. Or if they've just been giving birth on the streets. True. Right. Or they want to hide. Mm-hmm. So the to protect instinct their babies. is right. The instinct is to find a den, if you will, mm-hmm. in a wolf situation. But um, they'll just go and like underneath my stairs in my basement seems to be the opposite of the kiddie pool, mm-hmm. right? They go in there and that's fine. And I've made the mistake of trying to move her, but then she'll pick up all the puppies and put mm-hmm. them back where they, she wanted to have them. So you just kind of let her do her thing and hope you have the space. The way you would deal with any animal, human or otherwise, giving birth. Let yes. them do it their way. Comfort. Don't <laughs> comfort first. <laughs> make them comfortable and don't question their choices. Correct. I mean, within reason, make sure they're safe and things like that. It's a daunting process, or it can be, but it can also be extremely beautiful. And oh the, yeah! When the puppies first come out, and they're so helpless, and it's a really good experience for my children to help with. And they've learned a lot about life and death, unfortunately, through the process, and they appreciate it. I think. So it's a learning for all of us. Certainly something that most schools are not going to teach in such an immersive way. I would agree with that. And a lot of the kids' friends always want to come over and see the puppies. And, of course, you can't until they're six weeks old. Nobody else can touch them. But they spread the word, too, and everybody wants to know how it's done. And we've sent videos to friends and things like that. As a foster, you work with Casey pet project. You don't get foster puppies or mamas from anywhere else? Correct. Yeah, just KC Pet Project. And I do know with KC Pet Project, as you just mentioned, you'll get a mama and then she has her puppies. Sometimes they have dogs that are dropped off that here's just a box of puppies or here's a mama who just had puppies. Have you ever gotten any of those? Yes, several actually. And those are sometimes are the sadder cases because the puppies have been neglected or... They've been thrown out of cars or things like that. So you kind of have to just roll with it and hope for the best. I've gotten them when I've had them for a week. So they're seven weeks old. A week later, they're gone. I've had two different litters at the same time where, well, actually, so one litter was brought in by somebody who thought they could handle their dog having puppies. It was a husky, lots of hair. (laughs) So you could imagine eight husky puppies Mm -hmm. and their mama. So we had them for about five weeks. And then she, the mom, actually fostered three other puppies that we got during the process. And talk a little more about that, the mom fostering puppies. (laughs) Mother dogs are usually one of two ways. They either 
are mean to other puppies or they take them under their wing. There's really no in-between in my mind. But most of the time, what I've seen is they will take care of any baby animal. You've seen kittens go with dogs or Mm -hmm. different animals, porcupines, for goodness sakes, with cats or whatever. It's a mothering instinct. It doesn't matter what kind of baby it is, I don't think. It makes sense that you want to have an environment where you're protecting the puppies from exposure to illness, germs, whatever. So does that mean they can't go outside? Most of the time, they cannot go outside until they've had their six-week shots. So that's another aspect of the fostering. Not only is the feeding schedule and taking care of mom and things like that, but they also have to have shots at two weeks, six weeks, and eight weeks. And does that mean you pile a bunch of puppies into a car and take them into KC Pet Projects? Or Depends how many cleaning? there are. <laughs> so if we have two to four, so th- yes. There, there, there's not house calls that <laughs> there are? There are. Oh, wow. So when I had the litter of 13, they actually came to my house. And they gave... figure you, we've asked enough of you <laughs> Perhaps. <already. laughs> We'll meet Perhaps. you halfway or more than halfway. We'll meet you at your house. Yeah. But to answer your question, they can go outside after their six-week shots. So that's when they're bitey and things like that. So we actually take them outside in the lawn. And that's exciting to see when they first get in the grass. Oh, yeah, I'll bet. And they're like, ooh, what's this? You know, and then they start eating it and playing. And we generally get a crowd of kids from our neighborhood mm-hmm. come over and play with them, which is fine, again, after they've had their shots and they're mm-hmm. safer. And it's great for them to get that socialization playing outside and even interacting with neighborhood kids so that getting adopted is not their first exposure to people other than you. Absolutely. It does help with the socialization. We've gotten puppies, like I said, later on in the cycle at six weeks old or seven weeks old, and they've never been around humans at all. They get very skittish, and it does take a while for them to warm up to human contact and makes them more adoptable. When it comes time to give up the puppies, do you give them up to their new forever home or does that go back through KC Pet Project? KC Pet Project organizes the adoptions and for the most part, they handle everything. If there's somebody that is interested in one of the puppies before they're available for adoption, they can come to my house sometimes. I can regulate that, obviously, Mm -hmm. for safety reasons. (laughs) However, I don't necessarily line up the adoptions. Usually the way that we work is that the puppies will go in for their surgery after they're eight weeks old to get neutered or spayed. And then the adopters, if they're already set up, will just pick them up from the surgery. So we Mm -hmm. drop them off for the surgery, and then they'll pick them up. In the background, Peaches is very interested in that. As far as we know, having uh, adopted Peaches when she was about nine, we're pretty sure she never had puppies. But she loves puppies, and she seems to be fascinated by this conversation every time we say the word puppies. Do you have thoughts, Peaches? Apparently not right now. Now she's just annoyed that, (laughs) that we're drawing attention to her. Do you market at all on your own, or you just leave that all to Casey Pet Project? Market is probably a strong word. We, I obviously post on Facebook. My You're not taking out ads and barons? Or- <laughs> no. No. Um, ultimately, Casey Pet Project has the authority of who adopts them. So they do the background screening and things for the puppies, which is nice because sometimes we get pretty attached to these dogs. And we actually have been doing this for about five years now. And we get updates from people that we have met through the Mm -hmm. process. So we had a dog four years ago and can't believe how big this dog is now. She was tiny when she was a puppy, but we get updates, which is kind of fun too. Well, I'm sure it's hard to let go of any foster, but especially puppies, you're handling them so much, you're feeding them and, you know, multiple times. And I'd like to know a little bit more about 
what sort of feeding schedule you have mm-hmm. when puppies are, are, are dropped in your lap. I don't think I would want someone to foster, or I'd be concerned about someone who fosters, who is completely detached. It's like, I don't care at all. Good, I'm done. Bring me the next litter. You have to care. Oh, oh, we do. We care, but there is a line, I think. I think the first couple litters were harder. Now we're used to it. And quite frankly, puppies are extremely destructive between six and eight weeks. <laughs> so by the time the eight-week mark rolls around, I'm about ready to push them out the door. And mama needs a break. Yeah. Because she, her hormones are, are all mm. over the place when the puppies are around. And they actually change personality. The mom does. They'll usually calm down and be less aggressive, potentially, after the puppies are gone. So everybody's like, well, what's the mom like? Well, I don't know until she regulates after the puppies are gone. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they're a lot calmer afterwards, a lot more playful after the puppies are gone. So that's an interesting transformation too. Good for them to make it through that transition in an environment that otherwise would have been in a shelter mm-hmm. to yeah, have that and- in a foster home. Because I know there's some shelters, not Casey Pet Project, who either because they don't have the resources or it's just not their philosophy to have puppy fosters. Right. Well, I think there's two schools of thought for that so they can control it, Mm -hmm. right? And it's potentially their liability. Absolutely. Having Casey Pet Project actually wants them out of the shelter because of the illness factor. There's so many dogs and so, so much sickness potentially that the puppies can be exposed to. And if there's a malnourished mom the puppies will tend to get sick quicker. Unfortunately, we've lost quite a few from malnourished mom or things like that, and it happens quick. I think the reason other shelters don't allow it is because they can lose them so quickly, and if the foster parent doesn't know how Mm -hmm. to handle it or what the signs are, and trust me, we've gone through enough that I unfortunately or fortunately know the signs, and we haven't lost one for a long time. KC Pet Project is in a fortunate situation that it has a big network of fosters so that fosters can help each other and educate each other. And fosters can kind of specialize in senior dogs or hospice foster or puppies. How did you get started fostering puppies? Well, that's an interesting story, probably because our first foster was a foster fail. So we still have our um, original foster that we had five years ago. Jasmine's very comfortable in her bed now. But we moved on to mamas because they're a shorter duration, and I used to travel a lot for work. So it was good that it was a set period of time versus when you take a foster on, it's your responsibility to help try to get it adopted mm-hmm. or give the shelter information so they can post it on the webpage. You don't really need to do that with puppies. <laughs> they kind of mm-hmm. sell themselves. They're so cute. I think it's a sh- the shorter duration is what originally attracted us to it. And I had younger kids. I have teenagers now, but I had younger kids at the time and they wanted puppies. And that's, if I can have puppies and sat- help my kids be happy and then give them away, oh, everybody wins. We mentioned a moment ago the something things like the feeding schedule that are part of of working with puppies. What is the feeding schedule typically when you have a litter? It will strongly depend on how good the mom is. If she's a really attentive mom and not detached, some of them get detached, so it's harder. But if the mom is engaged and she takes really good care of them, then they usually nurse with her and she cleans up after them for about the first four weeks. Then you start introducing um, wet food mixed with water. 
and kind of like a gruel, if you mm-hmm. will. And so <laughs> the way we do it, honestly, is we put a sheet down on the floor, put a bunch of Tupperware lids down, put some food on them, and they just go to town. They just know how to eat. It's basically when their teeth come in. So their mm-hmm. teeth start coming in and they can and chew the food. Their, their mama is done with, I'm oh. not nursing anymore. I, By that time, More than happy to turn them over to you. Most of the time. Sometimes they want to nurse, you know, but we keep the mom away. Otherwise, she will eat all the food, the mm-hmm. wet food, because dogs love wet food. But we do that um, starting at four or five weeks, and then they're pretty much almost to dry food by six, seven weeks, but dry food mixed with water so it's softer. You mentioned your dog, Jasmine. What interaction does Jasmine have with any of the fosters? Nothing. And that's for a safety reason on both parts. Jasmine is very protective, and then there's hormonal imbalance with the mama dog protecting her puppies so it's just easier if we keep them completely separate so you arrange your house in such a way that this is jasmine's <laughs> territory and then this is the foster territory yes the fosters have the basement jazz has everything else and in the interim between fosters then jasmine gets the run of the house uh the base or no, you no, so it's really. like we don't want to have to segregate it so she doesn't get curious when they are there and we actually have another foster fail now. Cruz, he's a Mastiff, and he's the first male dog we've ever had. And I really keep him away from the mamas and the puppies because he tends to want to eat them. That That's that a, happens in, in nature. Right, so exactly. So in a foster environment, you have to be ready for those natural things that could happen, but you don't want to happen. You've been doing foster for five years. Obviously, you remember your first one, Jasmine, because you still have J- Jasmine. Do you remember your second foster? I do. I I would say I remember almost all of them, but my second foster was the first mama that we had. And she was a Rottweiler, a pure Rottweiler, or at least we think so. And she was brought in by Anima Control. And she was so beautiful and such a great temperament dog. Very protective, though, being mm-hmm. a Rottweiler. But um, she had nine puppies, and she was so malnourished. Rottweilers, I think can be anywhere from 70 to 80 pounds, the females, and she was 39 pounds pregnant. Wow. So she was really underweight. She had nine puppies, and five of them survived birth just because they were unfortunately deformed and things because she had no mm, yeah. nourishment, let alone them. But the puppies were beautiful. They were Rottweiler colored, and but their brown paws were like a brindle, so they were just gorgeous dogs. As with most puppies, I'm sure they went immediately once they were available You've mentioned that you get some follow-up with dogs that you fostered. Do you know anything about her puppies now? She actually went to, her and the puppies left about when they were seven weeks old and went to a Rottweiler rescue. Great. So that's a lot of people don't realize that they do too, is they partner with different associations, Rottweiler associations or clubs or things with the pure breeds and they help with adoptions and things. So I haven't heard from them in a long time with the puppies for um, them, but they went up to Wisconsin and they were uh, adopted out from that particular association up there. I don't think a lot of people are aware of those relationships that shelters have, that Mm -hmm. they probably have this perception of, you know, it's Walmart and Target. (laughs) It's like, no, the shelters collaborate, cooperate. It's, It's all about the dogs and certainly any rescue groups that want to work with a shelter, a shelter is glad to have that relationship. So I, I'm, I'm glad you shared that example. Has there been any experience that has made you regret fostering? 
Um, for moments, yes. <laughs> Split moments when there's um, all sorts of puppies. So, moments that aren't at two in the morning. <laughs> where you hear howling dogs. <laughs> Um, no, I don't think a regret is necessarily a good word. I would say that I get exhausted and think, oh my gosh, why am I going to do this again? But then you see the owners that adopt them and you're like, okay, that's why I do it. So these puppies can have good homes. Um, but yeah, there are definitely moments when I'm like, especially when we had the litter of 13 puppies. Oh man, that was a lot of work. Because when you put food down, they come like a pack of wolves, basically, right? So we had to have four different bins for them, which are play yards, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? And put food down. And yeah, that was a fiasco with the 13 because you have to, you basically have four different foster groups. I do want to make it clear, and I think I've done this with each of our foster interviews, that it's not easy. It's not glamorous. Yes, it's very rewarding. But you need to come into it with your eyes wide open. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually had somebody reach out to me on our foster network asking questions about what happens if this happens. And I just said, eyes wide open. They don't necessarily come in in a great atmosphere. So they're really tentative, especially mothers, pregnant mothers. Mm -hmm. They come in very tentative. And you have to... My best advice to anybody would be, if you take in a foster pregnant or not, to give them space. Don't sit there and try to play with them right away. Let them acclimate to the environment in a quiet, safe room so they have a moment to decompress. Because the shelter is crazy if you're pregnant or just a stray dog. Occasionally, I'm sure there's fosters that are owner surrenders because they Mm -hmm. just can't handle a litter of puppies either financially or they don't have the space or they weren't expecting this. They're about ready to move any number of reasons, but I would imagine the majority of puppy fosters are strays. Yes. So these are dogs that are already stressed in addition to the hormones of being pregnant and are probably not coming from an environment where they're used to being confined to a whelping pen or being in someone's home or with humans even possibly. That is true. Yes. The risks that are involved, you said for liability issues, obviously you keep your dog separate from the fosters. Are there any other risks that fosters should be aware of? Well, in shelters, uh, because of the sheer volume, there's always illness, right? That's another reason not to expose to your dog very quickly, at least. I mean, with a non-pregnant, non-mother situation, I think you can eventually introduce them. A lot of people do, but there is a lot of illness within the shelter itself. And chances are it'll come out in the first couple weeks. And you need to make sure you wash your hands and everything before you touch anything in your house. And there's just sanitary reasons. If you've not worked in that type of hospital environment, Mm -hmm. if you will, then you're not really that familiar with it. But common sense, wash your hands after you touch a puppy. In the shelter, they actually wear gloves to touch the puppy. I rarely interact with the puppies when I volunteer at the shelter just because I'm usually walking the adult dogs mm-hmm. and it's like, we well, have to put on the gloves, you have to get cleaned up. And sometimes depending on the situation, you even have a smock that you put on mm-hmm. and um, there's usually no shortage of people who are willing to do that and already correct have their box of gloves and everything. So if that's what you want to do, mm-hmm. this is an opportunity to do it, either volunteering to help with the puppies in the shelter, fostering. I would imagine there's a significant financial obligation when it comes to fostering a whole litter of puppies that have to be fed and all the 
ancillary expenses with that. What does KC Pet Project cover? Yeah, the expenses are pretty significant. Fortunately, you don't have to pay for formula most of the time when the mother is in there. But when I go pick up a litter and the mom, they give me kennels, they give me um, to borrow, of course, um, Mm -hmm. for that particular family. And then all the food I can possibly have, load me up with treats, with toys, blankets, sheets, which you need with puppies, a lot of blankets and sheets and laundry um, because they go through it so fast. But And then formula, which can be extremely expensive. If you have to supplement, if there's a large litter, like the litter of 13 that we had, we had to bottle feed some of them because there's only so many spaces on mom. So we had a supplement with other formula, which is like 30 bucks a can and things. So. For our listeners out there, if it just pulls at your heartstrings that there are mama dogs that have to go into foster because they don't have their forever home and have their litter of puppies in a temporary home, and you think, well, I'd love to help, but I'm not in a position to foster Everything that you just listed there, Deb, was donated to KC Pet Project, and then they gave it to you. Yeah, donations with either money or they get old sheets from people, toys, obviously not used toys. It's all new toys and things like that for the fosters. But yeah, that's almost all of it is a pure donation. So you can help out even without fostering. And I know that they have a wish list on Amazon. Just go to the kcpetproject.org for donations. And you can see, obviously, they'll take money. They need money for uh, a variety of things, not just to help with fosters, but then also there are specific items that you can choose. If you know, I want to help puppies, well, these are the things that someone would need to foster puppies. So you can help out even without opening up your home to a litter of puppies. You started out, your first foster was with Casey Pet Project. Casey Pet Project. So you, you don't have experience with other foster environments I don't either, but certainly anyone out there who's interested in fostering, contact your local shelter. If you're in Kansas City, there's multiple shelters you can work with. KC Pet Project would love to have you foster. You just need to go to kcpetproject.org, click on the programs page, and there's links to fostering, and you can start the, the process online and certainly contact KC Pet Project if you have more questions. I would probably encourage someone who's interested in fostering, if you don't have experience with puppies, you might want to foster a dog that's an adult for a while to kind of get your feet wet and learn the ropes. But certainly if you have experience with puppies and you're willing to make that commitment, because even though they're only there for a few weeks, it's a pretty intense few weeks, I'll bet. Yes, contact KC Pet Project at kcpetproject.org or just inquire at your local shelter. Deb, I really appreciate you taking time to share your story and we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks for having me. On Dog Words, we want to help you know your dog. At southernliving.com, Grace Haynes tells us why you shouldn't wake a sleeping dog. There's a reason you should let sleeping dogs lie. Dogs sleep for almost 50% of the day, clocking in an average of 12 to 14 hours, depending on age and activity level. 13-year-old Peaches is more in the 16 to 18-hour range. Like humans, dogs can have dreams during REM sleep cycles, the sleep cycle in which most dreams occur. While it may be tempting to rouse a pet showing signs of distress like whimpering, twitching, or shaking in their sleep, according to the American Kennel Club, disrupting a dog during REM sleep can cause serious consequences. 
Think about your own nightmares. You usually wake up startled and scared, and it takes a few minutes to realize it was just a dream. For a dog, that could lead to reacting as if they are still in the dream, resulting in you getting the bite that was intended for the prey or attacker that was in the dream. Experts at the Coming School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University also advise against interrupting your pet's sleep. They recommend that you consider that, just like people, dogs, social and emotional animals that they are, dream to process things they have experienced, commit new things to memories, and work through emotion. Like humans, dogs process experiences through their sleep. Waking them interrupts that process. You wouldn't want to be woken up in the middle of a dream without having a resolution, and your pet doesn't either. There may be situations where you do want to wake your dog for their own safety. Perhaps you're afraid they may fall off the furniture or hit their head. If you do decide to wake your dog from a nightmare, don't use touch. Gently say the dog's name. Then be reassuring and comforting with warm words and loving petting. If you can help our listeners know their dog, share your advice at rosyfund.org. I'm Phil Hatterman, and you've been listening to Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. I want to thank our guest, Deb Fell. To learn more about fostering and volunteer opportunities at KC Pet Project, go to kcpetproject.org. On some podcast services, there's a direct link to the KC Pet Project foster page in the description for this episode. I also want to thank alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media. Links to our pages are at rosiefund.org. Subscribing to the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel gives you access to all of our videos, including some exclusive content. And it gives more exposure to the shelter dogs we feature. Just search for Rosie Fund on YouTube or use the link at rosiefund.org. Please make Rosie Fund your charity with Amazon Smile. And if not Rosie Fund, any charity of your choice. It costs you nothing. Amazon has money to give to charities and wants your help identifying worthy causes. Use your favorite podcast service to download and subscribe to Dog Words. And please share this podcast. This helps us with sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the website. And let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words podcast. Thank you for listening, and remember, we save each other.